In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Percy Bysshe Shelley was a 19th century British Romantic poet who lived only 30 years, but in that time produced some of the most highly regarded poetry in the English language. Perhaps his best-known poem is Ozymandias, a sonnet from 1818, which imagines the story of a ruined statue of a cruel and powerful king which now lies in pieces in the desert. Maybe you've heard it before. I met a traveler from an antique land who said two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read which yet survive upon these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. I find this poem one of the most succinct and effective encapsulations of the reality of our temporality. A poem which puts to lie the fiction we live by, that if we just build it tall enough, if we just make it strong enough, it will somehow escape the ravages of time and last for eternity. And yet each and every quest to do so fails. Our human endeavors are stamped with an expiration date, and time will make a fool of those who think otherwise. I think of this poem every time we read the story of Jesus predicting the fall of the temple in Jerusalem, as we just did. Such a prediction comes in all three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we hear it at this time of year as we are turning towards the end of the story before we begin again with Advent. Jesus has come into Jerusalem for the last time. And for all the things that he said and did during these final days, this prediction of the destruction of the temple was one of the most shocking. For the temple was the holiest place for the holiest people in the holiest city in the holiest land. To predict its downfall was downright sacrilegious. But of course Jesus was right. He was right in the particular sense. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD, and it was never fully rebuilt. The most you can see of it now is the western or wailing wall, which is one of the most sacred sites for Jews in the entire world. 
But he was also right in the general sense. Like the poem, Jesus is reminding us of the temporality of our human endeavors. No matter how well, or how strong, or how high, or how holy our buildings, even the most stable and sacred will eventually crumble to dust. And while I might have chosen a different passage to help us complete our stewardship season this year, <laughs> especially if we are trying to close out a capital campaign for a church that is adorned with many fine stones and gifts, I think ultimately this passage is the right one for us today. Because it reminds us of what has always been true. That this entire renovation has never been about the buildings. It's always been about what happens in these buildings, what these renewed buildings could help us to do. What we have asked you to invest in with your prayers and your patience and your finances is the creation and preservation of space that is meant to be used, whose intent was always to function, because we believe not in our mortar, but in our mission, not in our edifice, but in our purpose. Buildings that are ends in themselves are idols, doomed to dust. But buildings that are used as tools, buildings that are used as places of, of transformation and connection, as places of help and healing and hope and happiness, well, they start to surpass their temporary nature by bringing us into touch with things that are eternal. And that has always been the motivation behind all this construction we would do well to remember. To create facilities that facilitate an encounter with the presence of the living God and give us a chance to continue to do something meaningful and helpful and good in this place for as long as these walls will stand. Imagine with me a Thursday a year from now. The day starts early with prayer, our 7.30 a.m. Eucharist here in the chapel. Soon after, dozens of three and four-year-olds get dropped off at preschool for a, a full day of music and art to facilitate their learning and development. A little later on, our devoted lunch ministry volunteers come into the new kitchen to start cooking a meal for our homeless and low-income neighbors. Those guests show up in the late morning and are served a meal at tables in a space that is now dignified and dry and welcoming. Meanwhile, over in the parish house, the lunch hour sees a, a neighborhood group in need of meeting space holding their monthly gathering in one of our new rooms. Later that afternoon, our parlor is filled with a group of parishioners coming together for prayer and study, while parents taking a break from the bedside of their sick child in the hospital, quietly sit in our garden to pray. Upstairs, one priest is meeting with a widow to 
to plan the funeral of her beloved husband, while the other is meeting with a new family to talk through the baptismal rite and welcome them to the church. Kathy is working furiously to prepare materials for our youngest children and plan the next event for our youth so that they may grow up secure in the knowledge that they are loved. Kevin and Marge are sitting around the piano in the new choir room debriefing after a night of rehearsals and planning the next season of transcendent music. And down in the church, Bob and David and Vince are setting up for the inaugural Jim Cell Community Conversation, which invites people from across the city to come together to learn and share about issues that are relevant to our collective well-being. And meanwhile, Judy is keeping everybody in line and organizing us all. And before the lights are turned out for the night, our Thursday night AA meeting has slipped in and out of Lower Lloyd Hall, so that those who desperately need that support will have it once again available to them in a central location. Friends, these are just some of the things that could be happening in this place, and they are the kinds of things that our building should be about. It should be about welcoming and worshiping and helping and empowering. Because those are the things that transform lives. Because they are the things that transcend our temporality. And that is, after all, the purpose of the church. To bring into being and to put into practice those aspects of life which echo beyond its limits. If we're lucky, this new building will maybe have another hundred years, hopefully. And if future generations are wise and prudent, it may have many more years after that. But we'd be lucky not because the building lasted, but because it would have given us that many more opportunities to love and to serve, to pray and to cry and to laugh and to sing together. That many more opportunities to bring people in touch with God and let that reality permeate their earthly existence. <clears throat> yes, eventually, at some point, this church will be gone. But when the time comes that the waters rise too high or the stones break and fall, we will have done something meaningful, something lasting, something of ultimate value in this place. It's really not unlike the problem posed in each of our lives, except with more mortar and scaffold. As Jesus is trying to make clear to the disciples, the question is not when will the end come or how. It is when it does come, will you be ready? Will you have done all you can to do something meaningful, not important, but meaningful in this life? Something that will transcend it. This is a highly personal question for Jesus at this moment. As he stands looking at the temple, foreseeing its destruction, he is also aware that in just a few days' time, his own earthly existence will be at an end. The cross is rising on the horizon. So what does he choose to do with the time he has left? 
He teaches. He gathers. He feeds. He prays. All in an attempt to transmit something lasting to the people he has been given in the place he has been given to do it in the time that he has. This is our work. And this is the place we have been given to do it in. And the people we have been given to do it with as well as we can for as long as we can. For if in this place we can continue to foster things like love and community, wonder and beauty, caring and comfort, hope and healing, then we will have brought something of the eternal into the temporal, something of heaven into earth. And there could be no more worthwhile work for us to do with our lives. Yes, the fate of Ozymandias awaits us all. One day this building will fall. What story will they tell about us when it does? Amen.